0: You today. Or if you pull out the Pew Bible, we're reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. You find that on page 1253 of your Pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming and these you too once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices father we pray that you would convince us through this passage today of the reality that we are your people, that we know you through faith in Christ, and you have made a profound difference in our lives because you have accomplished everything we need for life and salvation through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But as a result, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would motivate us, that you would empower us uh, to put to death the bad life, that we may live the good life and know what that means in jesus name amen this is really part two i spent uh, a good bit of time last week looking at verses five through nine of chapter three but we're going to pick up here and dive into it with a little bit more specificity and uh, as i began last week you know when you talk about um living the bad life uh it's it's not something that anybody really wants Oh, I'm seething with anger you know my life is just filled with anger isn't that the good life well no nobody nobody enjoys seething with anger or maybe really uh, being wrapped up with a particular uh, moral problem maybe even being addicted such that it it dictates your life it dictates your your day in and day out thoughts and actions it compels you nobody wants that we don't want that we want We want to put the bad life to death, and we want to live the good life. And what we found out was we have the motivation and the power and the ability to do that because of what has happened to us. Uh, If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, we found out that Christ, when he was nailed to the cross, that debt, that was against you because of your sin, because of the bad life that you lived, that IOU before God, the justice of God was satisfied, that IOU was nailed to the cross for you when you believed. And secondly, we found out that you were united to Jesus Christ by faith. And so what he accomplished, he accomplished for you. You were in him when he died, when he was buried when he was resurrected, and even as he sits at the right hand of God, we've found from the text prior to this that your life is actually hidden with Christ. And when Christ returns, you will return with him. The real you, your identity, that which is most you, is coming with Jesus when he returns. And so as we look at our text today, there's an argument that the Apostle Paul is making. He's saying, you have died with Christ, Therefore, put to death these things which are associated with the bad life, as I've been calling it here. We might also call it sin. I'll be referring to it as sin. But just to let you know, there's nowhere in this passage that these bad things are referred to as sin. They are referred to as earthly because he's making a point. Your ultimate reality, even now, is heavenly because you're united with christ in heaven now this is difficult for us to grasp because this is a mystery and it's a reality it's a reality but it is a mystery i remember one time uh, we got a boat Uh, it's a little underpowered i like to water ski Uh, it can't get me up on a slalom ski and so i talked to a guy at a marina and he says you need to go to a prop shop and you need to ask them uh, what pitch you need to get up on water skis behind your boat, and he said, "There's dark magic in propellers, in the pitch of propellers." And what he was saying was, "It is beyond me. I don't know how they do it, but somehow there's a way that you can contort those things that it can get you up." And in a spiritual sense. How is it possible? What does it mean that you are united with Jesus Christ even now? There's not dark magic. There's wonderful spiritual mystery in it that even now you are dead in Christ. You are alive in Christ. You're resurrected with Christ, and that resurrection life is flowing through you. I remember reading a, uh, a scholar who didn't believe the Bible was wholly true instead of this text he said well the apostle paul just got it wrong i mean he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth i mean are you dead or are you not dead if you're dead then how can you put to death anything if you're already dead ah he misses the reality the reality is because we are dead and united to christ in his death we therefore have the power and the motivation to put to death the remnants of the sinful nature, the remnants of the bad life that are within us. The bad news is even though these wonderful things have happened to us, until Jesus Christ returns, we still have the remnants of the bad life in us that need to be put to death. Or as we'll find out later, another uh, phrase that's used is we need to take it off like bad, stinking clothing. We need to remove the bad life. Because of this reality that exists in our life even now. And so we read Colossians 3.3, you died with Christ. So set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we put to death, according to verse 5, we live consistently with our status as dead. So what is it that we should identify with a bad life? Okay, what is the bad life? What are bad things that we are to do? And the Bible says that all people, regardless of whether they're believers in Jesus Christ or not, uh, have some sense of right and wrong that God has written on their hearts. They have a conscience. Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. And he says the purpose of that is that all people across the planet know something of what's right and wrong. And guess what? They don't do what they know is right, and they do what is wrong. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that everybody is accountable before God because we know we don't match up to the standard, even the standard that is within our hearts. But there's also another reality and it, the Bible says that our consciences can be seared. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, it says that we have we can have seared consciences. That means, as the ESV study Bible says, desensitized and consciences that are rendered ineffective. And so how is it that we are to know whether or not our conscience is seared, whether we are actually uh, whether our consciences are actually telling the truth about what is bad and what needs to be removed from our life in order to live the good life. Well, in Colossians 3.6, we have in no uncertain terms God's opinion on the matter. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now, uh, what I'd say is instead of going to opinion polls and finding out what's popular in culture, uh, we should look at how God feels about the matter now, if you 're a budding theologian, you might know that theologians are a little get a little nervous when we start talking about the feelings of God because God and his emotions are different than our emotions. We tend to be dictated by our emotions, uh, so i 'm not talking about that, but God, tell me how you feel about it, would you? Well, the wrath of God is going to fall on people that participate in certain things. Now, the good news for us is that we've already found out that when Jesus Christ returns, he is our life. Our life is hidden in him. And we don't fear the coming of Jesus Christ, even Jesus who will come as a judge. Because Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for us on the cross. And so, therefore, we don't dread his coming. We look forward to his coming. But instead, what this verse tells us is in no uncertain terms, if you want to know what it is that you're to put to death, these are the things that you are to put to death. Because when Jesus returns, these are the things that will be judged for those who don't know Christ, who are not in Jesus Christ. What things will bring the wrath of God So we find here, first of all, that there's a good deal here stated about uh, sexual uh, immorality. And when you take a look at the Bible as a whole, what it states is that part of the good life, what is good is that sex between a man and a woman in the context of the lifelong commitment of marriage is good and right. But outside of that, it's destructive. It's the bad life. It's sinful. And so we read in verse five put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire now i want to take a few minutes for us to think about this in terms of uh, not taking our cues from the culture around us because the culture has all kinds of views people have all kinds of opinions on sexual immorality and sometimes It it syncs up with what God is saying in Scripture. Uh, Just uh, yesterday I read about James Gunn, the director who is going to be the director of uh, Guardian 3. And because of uh, tweets that he shared uh, almost a decade ago uh, that became apparent, uh, it was a bridge too far for the Disney company, and they pulled him from working on this. uh, Because of sexual immorality. That would be something that the Bible would say is a problem as well, and not just the Disney company. Um, So sometimes it syncs up, but oftentimes it does not. And it does not in lots of different ways, in lots of different uh, ways that the the culture presents it, and media presents it, and people presents it. So the first is, sometimes uh, what God says is bad, the culture actually says, is good, and even celebrates it. I uh, was with a church member we were at, uh, we were over in England, London, on a missions trip a couple weeks ago, and we uh, went into the tube, uh, the London Underground, and there was promoted uh, by the City of London, uh, gay pride, the Gay Pride Parade that was going to take place there while we were there, including pictures, uh, huge pictures, of men kissing, Uh, to uh, promote that and so there was a uh, there was a celebration and the day came and we rode on the tube the underground and people came out as if it was a party and they they wore um, you know party clothes and they had sparkles all over their faces and they were there for a party they celebrated um gay pride with a party now i don't want to get too much Uh, hung up over words because people can mean different things by gay or uh, different terminologies but if uh, and has is the case um, people mean by that that it is good for people of the same sex to enter into an intimate sexual relationship the bible says this is not something to be celebrated but because of these things the wrath of god is coming Now, we'll find out there are plenty of other things, plenty of other ways that we can live the bad life. And so this isn't as if it is some kind of um, sin beyond all sins. But the thing that is of concern particularly is this, that in order for anybody to have their sins forgiven, they need to admit that it's a sin, and they need to come to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will forgive their sins. And Jesus Christ will empower them to live the good life, not the bad life. And if you're celebrating it as a moral good thing, then you will not come to Christ and confess it. Another way that people uh, in our culture deal with sin, and that is oftentimes when it comes to sexual sin, there can sort of be a winking at sexual sin. And I've seen this in my uh, years, my decades as a pastor, uh, in talking to people in premarital counseling situations. And at some point, I'll talk to the engaged couple, and, um, and I'll basically find out whether or not they have been celibate in their relationship with one another in their engagement. And increasingly over time, the answer to that question more and more has been no, no. And the conversation sort of goes something like this. Well, yes, Pastor Brown, yeah, we're living in sin, wink, wink. Uh, No big deal. Um, Everybody's doing it. And in fact, that has been kind of the drumbeat of the culture ever since the 80s. If you've watched television or movies, uh, unapologetically, that's just been what's presented as normal life. But God says here in our text, that because of fornication, the wrath of God comes. So it's not something to be winked at. It's something to remove from our lives as part of that, which is to come off, uh, to remove as the bad life. Um, Another way that our culture deals uh, with sin is at times they don't celebrate it, they don't wink at it, but they they bury it underground even though they know that's not something that i want to lift up as commendable and i think in terms of pornography which is something that is uh, pervasive in our society and um, something that you'll find few people really applauding and many people decrying uh, and yet it is pervasive and so it's just something that is underground that people don't talk about that's true of people in the church If some of you are wrestling with that particular sin, the Bible says the good news is, though it's pervasive in our culture, and though it might be something that you uh, grapple with, that has a hold of you, that you have the motivation and the power over time to put this sin to death. As a campus minister for 15 years, talking to students that grappled with that, a particular sin sometimes it's just impossible i can't there's no way that i can have victory over this sin but in fact uh, the bible says you can so sometimes we just don't admit it we push it underground and other times it's just so much a part of our dna and our culture and, and who we are as human beings that we don't even realize it's a problem uh, something like if you asked a fish in an aquarium. Uh, what they thought of the water. Uh, I don't suppose they would really uh, realize the water was there. And we see that as Paul turns to something else, another type of sin, and that is the sin of covetousness. Uh, The sin of covetousness um, is something that I think grips all of humanity, and in particular in our culture. Um, We are marketed the fact that we should be discontent with what we have. And, and it's so pervasive that at times they say, me, moi, covet. I mean, really, I don't covet. I don't have a problem with coveting. But let me just ask you some questions about what are you discontent? Uh, what do you say, if only, about? If only I had a better job. If only I had a better house, a better car, a better spouse a spouse, period. If only I had more time off. If only I were retired. The belief that the good life is found in something other than God and what God has given me is covetousness. And the Bible says, because of this, the wrath of God is coming. It's called idolatry. Chapter 3, verse 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, Another reality that, that we face as human beings, whether you're inside or outside faith in Jesus Christ, is oftentimes we can look at somebody else's particular sin that they're grap- grappling with as something that is particularly noxious and have moral outrage over, but not share that particular moral outrage uh, personally of our own sin. And, um, and we see it not only within the church, but outside the church. I was reminded of that Uh, This week, as I read of Anthony Bourdain's uh, last interview, uh, his interview uh, related to Harvey Weinstein. I don't know if you saw his statements about Harvey Weinstein, who's accused of sexual harassment. And he said in the course of the interview, I'd like to see him, you know, beaten to death in his cell. And then he went on to say, well, if that's not possible, I hope one day he'll have a stroke, keel over in his bathtub, and as he dies that way knowing uh, as he dies that way he goes through his contacts on his phone he scrolls through them trying to figure out who he can call and who will actually answer the phone and he dies that way knowing that no one will help him right so people can have moral outrage and we tend to have moral outrage over sins that we don't particularly grapple the good news is this, that God has higher standards than Anthony Bourdain. He has higher standards than the Disney Corporation. His standards are much higher, but the grace of God is far deeper. We were in uh, London, a church member and I, and we sat in a mosque and listened to religious leaders speak of Islam. And one of the things uh, that one of these religious leaders said is, the idea that somebody can pay for my sins isn't just. I earn it. I weigh the scales of judgment in my favor through good deeds. And then he went on to say, you have to get forgiveness not only from God, but you have to get forgiveness from others that you've wronged. If they don't forgive you, that will send you to hell. Is that the reality? Moral indignation? No hope? Is that how our lives are characterized if we've fallen into the bad life? Well, this is what we learned in Colossians. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then the judgment that rightly deserves to fall on you has fallen on Jesus Christ. He was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes, by the lashes of the whips on him, the prophet Isaiah says, we are healed. And so we can say it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Some of you know the, the old hymn, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. It is well with your soul and my soul, because we know the lover of our souls who came here and died for us, that we might be forgiven, That we might be able, in fact, to put the bad life to death. Not because we're earning our way into God's good graces, because he is good alone. But that part of the good life is that we not only receive forgiveness, but the power to put to death these things that are bad, that grip us. Now, having said that, this isn't a simple thing. It's not normally the case where you hear, you hear the message, okay, these things are bad, and then I walk out of the door of the church, and I put them to death. Occasionally, that happens. Occasionally, the Spirit of God works that way. We talked about last week that on a want-to level, we have evil desire that needs to be put to death, and how that has to be rooted out, and how difficult that can be, but God can do that, change our hearts. So I preached last week on, on that passage. I ended with the example of Stephen. If you were here, you, you know what I'm talking about. Stephen, one of the first deacons, and he was being martyred to death uh, because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was being unjustly uh, accused, and so they stoned him to death. And while he was dying, he forgave those who were stoning him to death. And, and I said it, there's quite a contrast between Stephen and those who were killing him, the religious leaders of the day, who were literally gnashing their teeth at him. So I finish up, wonderful worship service, great music, great choir. guys did great, you know, inspiring. I go home, what, maybe 45 minutes later I'm in the car. Somebody gives me a phone call, tells me about a particular item, a particular issue, and I get mad, and my heart is not soft. And my heart is not responsive. And I am struck by the fact that I ask myself, do I look more like Stephen, who's forgiving those who kill him, or do I look more like those gnashing their teeth? I was much more in the gnashing of teeth phase at that point. 45 minutes! I just preached a sermon. Now, you may be different than me, and you may be further along, in your sanctification and god working in your life but that is a common experience that god has to do his work in all of us and it takes time it's not easy it's not necessarily simple it's not necessarily something uh, that will happen immediately um, but we should do two things we should look to what jesus has accomplished that the sin This glorious thought has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And we should keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, figuratively speaking, who is in heaven, who's accomplished everything, and his life is my life. My life is hidden in him. And when he returns, I will be conformed and made just like him, uh, perfect, uh, no more to sin. But until that point, I look to him, and I move forward in faith, and I put sin to death. So how do you do it? There's no five-point plan here. To do those things by looking at Jesus, and you move forward in faith, and God will give you wisdom in terms of how to put sin to death. Words for kill in the thesaurus are assassinate, drown, execute, massacre, poison, asphyxiate, strangle, any means necessary. Some of you are hunters. You learn to kill. We we need to learn to kill sin in our lives. Some of you are soldiers or have been. Some of you are fighters. You learn to do battle. We need to learn to do battle and not give up because we will be victorious. God will give us wisdom, gumption, motivation, and precision over time to know what it is that we need to do. The point is not to give up. I worked with college students. uh, My job prior to this, Covenant College, and I had a an ongoing dialogue with one of the students over uh, summer break, and uh, via email. And then after several weeks, he just kind of fell off the planet. He wasn't emailing me back, and so after a week or two, I I just called him. I said, "What's the deal?" And uh, he said, "Well, I threw my computer in the bay, uh, my laptop, and." um, It wasn't one of these bays. He lived in another coastal town. And I said, well, why? And he said, because I was struggling with pornography. So I threw my computer in the bay. Now, on one hand, that was pretty dumb. I mean, you know, at some point, he's going to get another computer, right? And he's going to have to grapple with that. But on one level, what he was saying was, I'm going to do whatever I need to do, as radical a remedy as it needs to be. And in time, if he continues to have that attitude and he continues to rely on the Spirit of God and he continues to look to Jesus Christ, he will find victory. Sometimes we need help. That's a good example, one area where oftentimes people are helped uh, by a safe person that they can talk to, a fellow believer in Christ to pray for and with them. Do you struggle with coveting? Uh, What steps of faith do you need to take in order to put that desire to death. You know, maybe you don't need to go to the outlet mall this afternoon. Now, I just—I kind of say that as a joke because the, the reality is that if you start putting little prescriptions on it, it's legalism. You have to understand where you're at, where you're tempted, where you're vulnerable, and you need to understand what helps you in your pursuit of putting sin to death. Colossians 3, 7 through 9 uh, goes on to talk about the clothing we are to take off. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And these words related to putting off are used often in the Bible and in Greek language for putting off clothing. In 1974, I read an article in Skin Diver magazine. I was 14 years old and I still remember it. It was an article about Navy SEALs in training and what they went through. And particularly, it highlighted uh, one aspect of this grueling training that they received. Excuse the term, Hell Week, that they would go through. It was absolutely horrendous. Uh, Many, many things in there I have forgotten. But the one thing I remember was how they ended that particular week. At the height of all their difficulty, 29 started, only 8 finished. And what they had to do is they had to cross this pit, uh, this pit that they called Black Lagoon. And the pit was filled with exploded chemicals. And it had this film of scum over the top of it. And so there were extended two ropes across the pit. And they had to go hand over hand on one of those ropes, and their feet were on the other rope. And so they went down across the pit. They had to make it to the other side. What they didn't know was nobody makes it to the other side. And so all eight of them were out there over the pit. It was attached to a vehicle, both of the the lines. And the driver of the vehicle started to go forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards until all of them fell into the pit, into that stinking cesspool of chemicals. And they got out and what do you think they wanted to do? Get that stinking clothing off me, get clean. And that's the image. We have the stinking rotten clothing that we want to take off. We want to take off various things. We want to take off anger, wrath. The Bible says that man's anger does not bring about God's righteousness. We're to take off malice, that is the wanting to do harm to somebody else. We need to take off slander, that is running down the reputation of someone else. We need to take off obscene talk, that is off-color jokes, off-color talk and profanity. And so we pray, God, teach me that you are good, that you're reigning in heaven, and whatever plan of mine is blocked, I can trust in you and need not be angry. God, remove my desire to do harm or see harm done to somebody else. Soften my heart so that I seek good, not bad, for this person's life. God, may I speak good and not ill of others. May I build them up and not tear them down with my speech. God, give me the heart and self-control to choose words that edify, that build up and inspire. Remove my profanity and my coarse language. And let me trust in your goodness in my life enough to tell the truth, even when I've messed up, and telling the truth would create negative consequences for me in the short run. May I have that heavenly and eternal perspective. And particularly about this last piece of clothing that we are to take off lying, we read with it in the text here in verse 9 that we are to li- not to lie, that we're to be truthful with one another. And these particular items have to do not only with what we do personally, what we benefit from personally, but it has to do with the body of Christ, the church. And we learn from this that the good life, part of the good life, is living in a church, in a community, in the family of God where these things have been taken away, the bad life has been taken away in order that we might live the truly good life as people together. And people together are part of what God gives us as the good life. Again, in London, uh, there was a a woman that I met um, as part of this ministry that I'd, I'd taken part in before probably six or seven years ago, and her testimony was rather dramatic. She had been a Hindu uh, from South Asia, an immigrant in London, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that was particularly dramatic about her story was that uh, it involved healing, that that God had answered her prayers and the prayers of a missionary, and so she had cancer, and she was dramatically healed. While we were over there... um, we, in fact, were asked to pray for her. All the elders that were present in a worship service came up and prayed for her because uh, once more uh, the cancer had returned and she's been going through radiation uh, for that cancer. And um, I was struck by the fact, by that instance and other instances, of uh, people who have come to faith out of these South Asian uh, cultures and religions, that when they would come to faith in Christ and are baptized – generally their family rejects them and will have nothing more to do with them. The church has to be their family. The church becomes their family. And in seeing that little window, that mirror of how wonderful and how important uh, the church is as family, I realize that's not the exception. That is how God has designed us, to be family for one another. And so where you have family... With anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, it's not good. And so we ask God to remove these things from our lives and we work at putting them to death and taking them off for our own good to live the truly good life, but so that we also may foster the good life among us as the believers of God here in the local church so don't be discouraged Discouraged that um, you have to remove the stink from your life, right? Uh, don't pretend it's not there. And God is giving you the motivation and the ability to remove it, to take it off. And we are called to remove the bad life so that we can more and more live the good life as individuals and in a family of believers. Now next week we're going to talk about one of the most effective ways of removing the bad life from your life and that is to so fill your life with the good life that it chokes out the bad life with that let's close in prayer father we